And so how do we overcome this fear? And one of the things is that spiritual gifts are discerned in community and also that the community affirms spiritual gifts. So people will affirm you and say, I recognize this in you. I see this in you as you are uh, exercising your spiritual gifts. And so we're to encourage each other in that regard. The other thing is that you can have confidence that the spiritual gift that you have is one that has been given to you by the Holy Spirit. So you can take confidence in that. And when we exercise our spiritual gifts, as we were reading last week in 1 Corinthians 13, the motivation is one of love. And so if our motivation is that of love, then we can have this confidence it is from the Holy Spirit and we are acting in love and exercise those spiritual gifts. Another one that came in very briefly is, uh, does God take away spiritual gifts? Well, let me give you a quick answer, yes. Spiritual gifts are from the Lord. He has authority over giving and also uh, removing spiritual gifts. And some spiritual gifts do come and go. And we will be held accountable for the spiritual gifts that we have. But more importantly is this. When you're given a spiritual gift and you don't exercise it, you and we miss out. We miss out on that opportunity. You miss out on that participation. And the body misses out on it as well. And then finally, another one that came to us was, is anything that we do in the way of sharing or serving um, in church a spiritual gift? I want to say no. I want to say potentially. What we see in Scripture in several passages, and they're included in the study guide, there are several passages that talk about particular spiritual gifts. They are not an exhaustive list, but they are at least, at minimum, that list of spiritual gifts. And so we can know what are spiritual gifts, and we are invited and encouraged to learn about those. But take something uh, like music, for example. Music can be used. Is music the gift of healing? Is music the gift of prophecy? Is music the gift of teaching? And so spiritual gifts can be exercised in different ways. We might say all of the above. So we can exercise spiritual gifts in different ways. So my point is, before we consider the, the myriad of possibilities, let's learn these and dive into these and learn more about these. You'll have more opportunity for Q&R later on. Uh, in in uh, a short time from now, I'll pause again for some Q&R. You know, First Church Corinth, as I referred to them, they were eager. In fact, the, the Greek word is where we get the word zealous from. They were zealous for spiritual gifts. And they were particularly enamored and fascinated with this spiritual gift called tongues. Or glossa in Greek. Now, tongues, as we learn, in fact, even in the book of Acts chapter 2, tongue can be a regional language from different regions of the world, can be regional languages, but it, it can also be, and what is most likely referred to here is an ecstatic language. Now, at the time of the development of First Church Corinth, uh, the, the Hellenistic area, the, the people in this, uh, in this era, uh, they understood about ecstatic uh, speech. They felt that it was a symbol of divine inspiration. 
And so you can understand why the congregation at First Church Corinth was particularly fascinated and enamored with the prospect of spiritual gifts of tongues. But it always required uh, explanation because it was obscure and strange. And so you have this combination in this first church in Corinth. This combination of them being eager and zealous for spiritual gifts, which was creating a sense of competition within the community. But then you also had this uh, misunderstanding or this confusion about this spiritual gift called tongues. And particularly the lack of uh, interpretation that went along with it. Does anybody recognize this phrase? Imagine if I were to say this phrase or if I was to speak this language, Zambikari Zango. Friends of mine know this language. It is called Chokwe. It is a regional language in Congo. How about this one? Anybody know what this one is? Yes, what is it? God is love. Thank you. Do you see, even just regional language, in other words, it has value when we understand what is being said. Whether it is regional language or even an ecstatic speech, which is part of what was going on. And so they, this combination of confusion, and, and so they had lost this idea, you know, spiritual gifts were culminating in the congregation and culminating with the gathering of people together, but they were confused about what these spiritual gifts were, particularly tongues, and the purpose for gathering together in the first place. So Paul begins to talk with them about why gather together as followers of Jesus. Why gather together? Well, why do we gather together on Sunday morning? What is the role of the worship service? If you have a pen and a piece of paper or your iPhone or phone, just write down a response to that. What would you say if someone were to ask you, why do you get together on Sunday morning? What is the role of the worship service? What is the purpose of it? Isn't it strange that we get together? We're talking in this sermon series about spiritual gifts or superpowers. And they are for, as we've been hearing, they are for the body. They are for the congregation. They are for the gathered group of people. And discerned in community. But why do we get together? Many years ago, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, they do many research things, and particularly in Canadian context. And I don't know, maybe it could have been probably a, a dozen years ago, 10 or 12 years ago, and they did a study to, to get an assessment of what was considered regular attendance at a worship service. Regular attendance at a worship service, the results came in as twice a month. That's a change from my parents' generation to my generation. My parents' generation, regular attendance was 50 out of 52. And if you went on vacation those two weeks and you brought a bulletin in, it counted. (laughs) 
What is the reason we get together? Statistics Canada just completed and, and, and uh, sent out their census, their 2021 census. The 2021 census. 2021. In, 20, uh, in 2001, Canadians reported non-religious at 16.5%. 16.5% non-religious in 2001. In 2021, it doubled, 34.6%. Over one-third of the Canadian population self-reports is non-religious. Can you imagine what that is doing to church attendance? If regular attendance of those that go attend regularly is cut in half, and now the non-religious population is uh, doubled in, in, in reporting and is now over a third of the Canadian population. So it might sound kind of silly or trivial to ask the question, why do we gather on Sunday morning? But evidently, that question is not being answered in a way that's compelling. The answers actually seem to elude us. But you know what's interesting? It's fascinating because I think there's some good that is coming out of the last couple of years. I know there is. And one of the things is when people have come back from uh, being away and being isolated or being in quarantine and they come back and they come into the worship service and they gather together here. You know what is often said of, to me or to the other pastors in the foyer when they come back together, they go, you know, I watched it online, but I, I, after I was here this morning, you know what? It's just not the same. Something is going on here. And maybe we're just getting a fresh understanding and a fresh learning and a sense of what is it that's particularly different here? Because something is going on. And we actually missed it. And when we come together, we sense it and we feel it. And what is that that is going on? What would happen if we regained an understanding of why we gather together on Sunday morning and what is the role? What would happen? Would that mean that your family members would start attending again? Would that mean that young adults or teenagers would actually be interested again? Jesus said, I will build my church. His missio day, the mission of God. Will he do that here Lord, will you do that here at Westview, in our families, in our households, in Calgary and beyond? Why do we gather for the worship service? What is the role of the worship service? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Verse 1, pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love and strive for spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. He repeats himself here because it's important. The emphasis is important. Pursue love. The first thing, love God, pursue God, pursue love, pursue God. What does that look like? And then strive for spiritual gifts and especially prophecy. Prophecy. 
understood as a divinely inspired message or word, a message, an idea, something inspired by God. Prophecy, there are two parts to prophecy. One is foretelling, which is talking about something in the future. And this is actually fairly minor in the grand scheme of things in Scripture. The second part of prophecy is forthtelling, which is sharing the gospel, sharing a good news. And that has been a major part. Talking about Jesus Christ, giving testimony, forth-telling. Pursue love and strive for prophecy. Well, let's continue here. Let's start at verse 1 again and go to verse 4. Pursue love and strive for spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people but to God. For nobody understands them, since they are speaking mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Those who speak in a tongue build up themselves, but those who prophesy build up the church. So why is prophecy so valuable and so beneficial? Because it builds up the church. It builds up. It edifies. It it strengthens the congregation. It equips the congregation. Another term is that it increases the potential of the congregation. Again, there's so much value and worth in the congregation. It strikes me, it was striking to me this week that Jesus, when he was on earth, he remained single his whole life, and yet he refers to the church as his bride. The congregation. How valuable and how important. But why, why the distinction between prophecy and tongues? What is the distinction? Verse 5. Now I would like all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. One who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you in some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? It is the same way with lifeless instruments that produce sound, such as the flute or the harp. If they do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves... If in a tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know that what is being said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of sounds in the world, and nothing is without sound. If then I do not know the meaning of a sound, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves. Since you are eager for spiritual gifts, strive to excel in them, for the building up of the church. So the, what is the distinction? He says the tongues are like noise. They are like emptiness. They're of no value unless somebody is interpreting. It is, it is essentially useless. But what is the distinction here? The distinction is 
that the gifts are for the benefit of other people. That is the distinction between prophesying, foretelling, or forthtelling, and speaking in tongues without interpretation. The whole orientation is towards the benefit of other people. So yes, be eager for and strive for spiritual gifts, but those gifts particularly that benefit other people. Can you hear the heart of our God in that? Always and forever the orientation is towards other people. He did not consider himself... Uh, equality with God, something to be grasped, but humbled himself and taking on the form of a servant. Other people. The congregation is to be one that is oriented towards other people. And then Paul goes into uh, what I would call a deep dive of uh, tongues and prayer and so on. But the question remains, why do we get together? In verse 13 to 22, he goes into this deep dive of tongues and prayer. But the question remains, why do we come together? Why do we get, gather together as in, a, in a corporate setting? Individuals coming together, gathering together. Why do we do it? What is the reason? 14 verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy an unbeliever or outsider who enters is reproved by all and called to account by all. After the secrets of the unbeliever's heart are disclosed, that person will bow down before God and worship Him, declaring, God is among you. God is among you. God is really among you. God is real. God is among you. God is really among you. God is really among you. So what is the purpose and the reason that we gather together in a worship service on Sunday morning? It is to manifest the very real presence of God himself. It is to know that God is present with us and also to experience that God is present with us. In the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, a revelation is given to John. And in there, this revelation, this message that is given, particularly to the churches, in Revelation 3 and verse 20, Jesus gives this part of the message in the revelation. He says, listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. He's speaking to the churches. He says, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door. I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. We gather together. We invite his presence and we know his presence and we experience his presence and we acknowledge his presence. That is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God our Father. 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God is real. And God is among you. God is really among us. That is the prospect and the promise that he will be among us. And so the gathering together, the worshiping together, the service on Sunday morning is meant to make visible the invisible. To make visible the presence of God who we cannot otherwise see unless there's some form of manifestation. So then, the church is a very distinct community. The church is a distinct community because we live like no other people live. We are shaped by the character and the love of Jesus Christ. We gather together to make the invisible visible, to make visible the invisible. It's blue water. (laughs) Lucas, I love it. Just like that. We choose to live and be formed and informed and shaped by each other. To share our spiritual gifts with each other. To submit to each other. To live a certain way where Jesus is our king. We live as kingdom people. And he is our king. And we are shaped by his character. And our posture towards somebody else. One of humility and dialogue. Where he informs our group identity where we experience his presence. Not only intellectual assent, but we experience his presence. We experience his reconciliation and we share that experience and that reconciliation with other people. So in this sense, the worship service is for the congregation, but it's also for the world as well. The worship service is a means of a witness, a means as a testimony to Jesus Christ. The worship service as evangelism. This strange thing where people from all over and different ethnicities and we gather together and we are open to the work of the Lord and the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our family. It's like a bunch of weird people. And that becomes the witness and the testimony. The first witness and testimony is how we gather and how we treat each other and how we treat our neighbors and those around us. Jesus speaking in the Gospel of Matthew in his, what's called his Sermon on the Mount, he was talking about, he says that you are like the, to the, the light of the world. He says, a, a city on a hill, you're this beacon. But then he says this at the end in Matthew 5, 16, he says, in the same way, let your light so shine before others that they will see your good works and they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I mean, it's so beautiful and wonderful. We gather together, we worship and praise together, and we experience and know the presence of the real living God among us. And that becomes our first witness and testimony.
It's quite a buildup. The buildup of the church. The buildup of the church is a buildup to that day when Jesus Christ will return in physical bodily form. A buildup of magnificent form when he will return and there will be this massive church. It won't be that we'll all be together in a worship service like this for eternity. But we will be together in this posture, this wonderful relationship with our God and with other people. And it'll be a multi-dimensional, multi-ethnic congregation spread out all over the new earth. So the buildup of the church is a buildup towards that on earth as it is in heaven. I want to pause here for some Q&R. If you have a question other than the ingredients, I know I see you scientists out there and the chemists. If you have a question, you can email or text it to ask at westviewchurch.ca and we'll respond or you can stand where you are and T.Y. will bring a mic to you and uh, you probably want to stand and Get some feeling back in your legs. And ask your question, right? Yeah. yeah. Everyone makes fun of me for all my coffee, and now I'm nice and toasty. So. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of great questions that have come through. One, a little bit longer, so I just want to summarize it here. Sure. Um, but it was interesting because this person filled out the survey again and discovered some new things. Okay. And I think that's just a great point to make is that that's why we want to do this spiritual gift questionnaire. It's right. because this is an opportunity for us. If many of us, if you haven't done this in a long time, it was great to hear those words that mm. they've discovered something new. Mm. Um, and I think that just goes to show uh, that why we want to do this. Right. Because uh, right. God will surprise us. So if you may have done it many years ago, um, but do it again. Exactly. This was kind of the, the bit of the question. I think you have already helped answer this before. But can God change a person's gift or does God allow us to change through our time and build on this new gift? Mm, yeah, that's good. Does God change our spiritual gifts or do we change or build on those spiritual yep. gifts? Yeah, that's good. So yeah, absolutely. The Holy Spirit uh, gives spiritual gifts and those spiritual gifts can change. They can come and go according to the will of the Holy Spirit. But you will also grow and develop as you exercise those spiritual gifts. It's amazing. The gift of hospitality. The gift of teaching. The gift of exhortation. That means giving somebody a word. Either a word of correction or a word of encouragement. And you will, you will change and you will grow and develop along with it as well. That is absolutely true. But so too the congregation. Yeah, yeah it's good. This one builds on that, I think. If God gives us the spiritual gifts, how can we excel in the ones that benefit the church if we don't have that gift? Mm. So give that to me again. If God gives us the spiritual gifts, yeah. how can we excel in the ones that benefit the church if we don't have that gift? Okay, yeah, so I, essentially the spiritual gifts are oriented towards the congregation. The spiritual gifts are oriented towards the congregation. So remember at the end of 
of chapter 12, Paul says, um, you know, uh, strive for the greater gifts. And now in chapter 14, we hear what is kind of a divine definition of greater gifts, the ones that benefit other people. And so the spiritual gifts, even like one of tongues, praying in tongues is good when you speak to the Lord, but when it's meant for the congregation, that means that there is someone who 